we're going to have a look at some of the principles of sport as they are revealed in the Bible. It may surprise you actually to learn of how many of the modern principles behind sport are actually contained um, in the scriptures of truth. Now, as we speak, of course, the, the football Euro championships have started in 2021, a year late because of the pandemic. Many supporters um, fervently cheering on their teams. Um, many relieved to be back in sporting venues to watch live sports. Uh, much has been made of this um, in the news. Um, later in the summer this year, we should also be able to see the delayed Tokyo Olympics uh, that were scheduled to be um, uh, taking place last year, where many athletes from all over the world uh, will compete to be the best. Now, sport and fitness have become um, exceedingly popular in the modern age. The um, UK industry for fitness um, is allegedly worth about two billion pounds. Um, and that was in the year preceding the pandemic. Um, obviously, it shrunk considerably, uh, but is already now in, in stages of recovery. And many people have taken to um, fitness regimes at home um, and, and following various ways to um, keep themselves fit. But maybe the ultimate uh, achievement is, is, is seen through the athletics in the Olympic Games, um, the highlight of, of um, every four-year cycle, um, we see an amazing spectacle of human physical prowess. Um, uh, we see personal bests, uh, amazing achievements, gold medal performances. We see athletics pushed um, to the extra inch, um, straining every fibre, every sinew to literally be the best and, and maybe later this year there will be high hopes for gold medals um, of course we shall have to wait and see God willing if that actually takes place now we know how much athletes train or, or, or do we um, how much victory is their total fulfillment extraordinary scenes follow victory commentators get excited whenever they sense another great upset. There's only one prize worth having, the pinnacle of human achievement, to be first, to win, to get the gold medal. Some of you might remember nine years ago, the London 2012 Olympics. Uh, we saw highly emotional moments, uh, the euphoria of, of winning, and the tears of defeat that came even for people who came second and only achieved a silver medal. Um, I remember one competitor cried to the cameras and apologised for letting everybody down because they'd only achieved a silver medal. Um, the, the highlights, um, this highlights, sorry, the, the enormous pressure that bears down upon athletes um, as their countries look on with expectation. Winning for them is really the only option. And they train so hard um, in the years leading up to the Olympics 
such that they are at their absolute best when the moment uh, is for them to be called upon to give that exceptional performance. We'll contrast these failings then for those who don't win uh, against the glory of the, the winning. Um, these athletes cause hardship for their families. They take themselves away to camps to concentrate on training and in the build-up and preparation for the games. We hear many stories of grit and determination. Athletes training virtually full-time, controlling their diet, getting an, an, a narrow focus on, on the ultimate prize in human physical achievement. Gold medal winners become heroes, given a podium to stand upon, not just to get their medal, but revered in society. Special people they become, many later recognised um, by the Queen for, for their exceptional contribution to their sport. So where did all this come from and, and why is some of this relevant to, to the Bible? I, I want to focus, as you can see, on, 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 on the Olympic sports um, and athletics, um, as these were commonplace even in Bible times, which is where we get the link um, with the scriptures. The very first Olympic Games were held in about 700 BC. Um, they originated out of uh, the ceremony associated with New Year. Um, and their four yearly frequency became known as the Olympiad. Every four years in the solar calendar, we have that extra day, the leap year. Um, and that's the year that the Olympics um, normally takes place in. There's lots of myth and legend in, in Greek folklore as to the reasons behind the commencement of the games, but not, not all of that is entirely relevant to our talk. But we do know they began as a religious festival dedicated to the Olympian gods, um, namely Zeus, the king of the gods, and his wife Hera. Um, they both had great temples in the plains of Olympia in Greece, where the games took place. And the aims, as they are now, was to showcase the physical qualities and evolution of human performance. Uh, the Games continued for nearly 1,200 years until about 400 AD, when the Roman Emperor Theodosius decreed that all such pagan activity should be uh, banned as he tried to impose Christianity um, upon um, Rome as, as the state religion. Um, like all ingenious Romans, he managed to find a blend of paganism and Christianity in order for the games to continue. Now, there are similarities with the, the modern games, um, with the old games, that the victor received a, a sacred olive tree wreath in the old games, um, which later became a laurel wreath placed upon the head as, as a crowning glory to the cheers of the crowd, throwing flowers at the feet of their victor. So it's not hard to see how these original ideas and practices have influenced the modern games, which were reborn in 1896. The elevated victor standing on a podium above the rest of the, um, the competitors. Um, we see them crowned uh, with a gold medal and handed flowers listening to the anthem of their homeland. Importance 
of the ancient games was so great in their day, um, a sacred truce came to rest upon nations, even those that were at war, um, so that the spectators could travel in peace to the games and all participating countries could attend. So we, we're building a picture of the immense importance of the games, um, the quest of the athletes who contended with each other for the mastery in their chosen discipline, the agony and the, the gruelling participation as every inch of fibre and sinew is pushed to the absolute limit for victory. And that would see them crowned with honour. Not much of that has changed today. Now, there was, a, a, in the Olympiad four-year calendar, other games that took place. Um, and, and there was barely a year without some form of, of, of games. Um, and, and this calendar included the, the Isthmian Games and the Pythian Games. But it's the Isthmian Games that are important to us because they were in Corinth. So, so named after that Corinthian strip of land. Um, and these games were dedicated to the sea god Poseidon, one of the 12 Olympic deities who each corresponds to the 12 signs of the zodiac. Um, some of that interest, history is quite interesting, but, but we can't spend too much time developing that now. And that festival on the Isthmus Games in Corinth was every other year um, designed to rival the Olympics itself. Um, and, and those games carried on until about the 5th century AD. Now, it's no surprise then to see the games mentioned in the Bible, um, written in, in, in the 1st century and, and alluded to by the Apostle Paul, who spent um, a few years in Corinth. And so he would have experienced the build-up um, and the activity surrounding these games. Um, he's not slow to use the games to illustrate the way in which those that strive for mastery need discipline and focus. They're important principles for us to remember. Those who strive for mastery need discipline and focus. Now in 1 Corinthians 9, and I think we'll turn there actually, the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. So come back a few chapters of, of books of the Bible, if you're still open uh, at Timothy. We'll, we'll go back to Timothy towards the end of our talk. And we'll go to um, the first of Corinthians and chapter nine. Now here, um, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, making a point that um, to, to his critics uh, by observing how that, that he's given up everything in his life to be a um, a messenger to them to to carry the gospel to them and he gives examples of occupations that allow the the people who who conduct them to take part in 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 the fruits of them uh, he talks about in verse seven um, of chapter nine um of, of someone who plants a vineyard um, and they're the first to eat the fruit of it um so he is alluding to the fact that he has um uh, put all his life and effort into preaching the gospel and he will be a, um, a receiver of the benefits of that. Um, he, he, he makes the point that even though he was entitled to, to draw support from them, um, to those to whom he preached, he hadn't taken anything from them. And his, his reward was to make the gospel free to all men. Um, 
Let's look at verse 18. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. So his objective was to preach the gospel um, at no cost um, to anyone. It was free to all that would listen. But the, the risk that he faced was that having put all his, his life and effort and work into this goal, if he wasn't careful, he, 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 he might end up not partaking of the ultimate reward of the gospel, which is eternal life. And he goes on to use the example of the games to make this point in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receive the prize. There's the gold medal winner. There's only one winner in a race. So run that ye may obtain. So having received the news of the gospel, they were to treat it as if they were training for the games and actually um, strive to be first. Um, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate or self-controlled um, in all things. That's the discipline required uh, to reach the end of the race and actually get victory. Um, now they do it, that's the, the athletes in the games, to obtain a corruptible crown, but we do it for an incorruptible, that's for everlasting life in the kingdom of God. So in verse 26 he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, like a shadow boxer, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he recognised that he too was a competitor, as it were, in the race of life. Um, and that it would be a mistake for him to have put all his effort into preaching to others and not to make sure he uh, was also going to be a beneficiary. Um, so he's using the principle of the game. So we pick up there the 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 striving to be master to the mastery and and the the, the self-control and the discipline that's that's needed um in 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 running um this race um so every athlete endures tremendous pain for a a fading crown of leaves this is the, the corruptible crown um, the, 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 the petals die, the athlete grows old and, and they go into the history books. Um, but he illustrates the discipline through boxing, uh, which is a very old Olympic sport. And he, he compares the shadow boxer there jabbing the air without landing a punch. Um, but this was um, the opposite of his preaching um, because he was the real thing. I mean, he, he, he was, as it were, a real boxer preaching and he landed his punches uh, when he was preaching the gospel. He made contact um, with the things he was preaching. Um, he was no shadow boxer um, in, in uh, pretending to fight in that sense, in, in pretending to preach the gospel. And, and he says, um, you know, I, I really fight on my body's sternest master for fear that when I have preached to others, I might be disqualified. Um, and the word for striveth there in verse 25 is the Greek word agonizomai, agonizomai, uh, which we, from which we get the English word agonize, describing 
the, the pain and the anguish that athletes endure in their sheer determination to succeed. So his preaching was faithful using the discipline of an athlete. He was an honest and fair competitor. Now come, come, come onward in, in your Bibles with me to Timothy and the second of Timothy chapter two, where we have some more illustrations of these principles in the Bible. Um, Timothy, which is just after Thessalonians, just a few books further on from Corinthians. And we'll go to the second of Timothy and chapter two, um, where Paul um, uses a, a, another example of sport to make his point. He, he wrote to encourage Timothy uh, to get on with the role of teaching the truth. He, he illustrates uh, with, the, with the professions of, of, of those who, whose example demonstrated single-minded focus and lawful obedience that was necessary to avoid distraction. He says in verse three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboureth must be first partaker of the fruits. So we're zoning in on verse five there, where we've got this striving or contending for the masteries. He's not crowned except he strive lawfully. Um, and, and we've got those professions that require the discipline, like the soldier who has to have that narrow focus for the work he has to do. Um, the husbandman in, in labouring in the vineyard um, works hard to, and makes sure that he's the first to partake of the fruit. But that discipline is illustrated in verse five with the athlete striving for the masteries. And it's, it's better translated, contend for the games. That's what it actually says in the revised version. Um, if, if also a man contend in the games. And, and the, the, the word strive here in the Greek is the word athleo, which is from which we get the English word athlete. Um, so you can begin to see some of these principles uh, are hidden um, in the language of the Bible. So this is the way an athlete prepares for competition. He trains relentlessly to become the best. Singleness of mind, a strict regime of exercise, discipline in diet. And when participation comes, he's supervised by the judges to make sure he abides by all the rules. Um, something very evident in the modern games in relation to disqualification for rule breaking, false starts in a race, for example, ways in which cheating is eliminated to make sure sport is fair uh, on each of the competitors. There's no replacement then for, for honest hard work and discipline uh, that's needed to condition an athlete to win. A distraction or a momentary wander away from the end goal will likely result in failure. The athlete must not be deterred by the hardship coming upon him if he wants to win the prize. And the same is seen in the way in which Paul encourages Timothy 
to approach the difficulties he would be confronted with with the believers at Ephesus. He says in verse seven um, of chapter two um, to invite consideration of what he's just been saying. Um, verse seven, he says, have a think about what I've been telling you. Consider what I say. Um, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And, and that's the, that's the, the the, the, the true hope of, of the gospel, that Christ rose from the dead, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And so, this is the gospel of resurrection that Paul had preached and Timothy was now um, uh, teaching to those at Ephesus. Um, joining ourselves to the same sufferings, the same agony, the same strivings for the mastery in gospel terms, um, you know, we will suffer as a result of that, but we will get the victory and, and, and the, the glory of reigning in the kingdom of God. Let's just go over a couple of pages to chapter four then, where we had those words read for us at the start of, of the meeting. Um, this is one of Paul's, uh, if not his final letter, um, and he speaks in, in verse five. Um, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And that's the word for race. So he's run the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, unto all them that love his appearing so this is the same language of competition of of the athlete and the discipline and the agony and the striving for the mastery that's required as he approached the finish line of his life alluding to the way the, the athletes were honored um, but rather than a crown of leaves that would perish the corruptible crown um, he's speaking of a crown of righteousness which will be given by the righteous judge to him and all those who have contended in the same way. So the athlete that contends for mastery sets out to win the prize. Um, nothing less will do. Second place is unacceptable. We must be a winner in this race. And this mentality and this frame of mind um, explains the misery of so many who only achieve silver in their quest. So Paul repeatedly uses the, the idea behind the games. It reappears time and time again. In writing to the Philippians, he speaks of standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that word striving is again the Greek word athleo signifying contending for a prize and so we must join into that affliction of the gospel 
together if we are going to win the prize of eternal life. Paul speaks in another place of pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the foot race that the followers um, of, of Christ are engaged in. It's as if we were running a race spiritually, not physically. Um, we need to um, um, exercise that discipline over our nature um, and, and that impulse within us that leads us to sin and, and, and get a grip of our, of our lives if we are to um, reach that prize. We've got to recreate in our mind um, the, the, the words of, of, um, of, of the gospel and, and, and work, working towards that ultimate goal. Um, we've got to reach a fitness level in our mind that, that rivals world-class athletes. Um, so we're, we're going to go back to the first of Timothy, just back a couple of pages to chapter four. Um, and, and we've seen some allusions to the discipline and the training regime of, of a top athlete. We've also seen a, a reference to boxing and running. But here in 1 Timothy 4, we see another Olympic sport alluded to, and that is gymnastics. And, and here, Paul, Paul warns of, of those who would depart from the faith, accepting doctrines that were more attractive than they were truthful, um, they, they would, as a result, impose unnecessary burdens and rules upon each other. And Paul warns Timothy in his writings to, to keep his mind in a fit state, fit and healthy in the things and in the understanding of the gospel, so that he could stay on top of those who, who were trying to make changes that were not right. Um, verse 6 he says, if thou put the brethren, this is chapter four of the first of Timothy, verse six, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise, exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So this is the word exercise. We, we highlighted there in verse seven, exercise thyself unto godliness. Well, that's the Greek word gymnazo. And that's the word from which we derive gymnastics. And it speaks of um, keeping the body in tip-top condition, condition, warmed up and ready for any twist or turn that may be required. Just imagine for a moment some of those, uh, those gymnasts um, in, in the Olympics swinging on the poles, uh, flexing their bodies to the left, to the right, doing loops, um, um, turns in the air, twists and landing perfectly on their feet extraordinary dexterity with the body. That's what Paul was saying Timothy needed up here in his mind, in the things of God's word. Um, the gymnasts of the Olympics display incredible timing, flexibility, positioning, grace, and, and, and sheer brilliance at what they can do. But one mistimed move, one lack of focus or concentration and their moves become a mess and they could injure themselves. 
but certainly they would not win the prize. So Paul is trying to get Timothy to, to keep his mind um, warmed up in the things of, of the doctrine of, of the truth of God's word um, and, and not to allow it to get cold and rusty um, and, and, and out of shape and unfit. Um, you need to be able to deal with situations as they occur. So keep these things exercised in your mind. That's the, the condition of the mind that we should be develop, developing. But, but not only that, he, he references the, the dietary control a gymnast will impose on their training regime to keep themselves fit. Um, he talks about the, the nourishment um, in the words of faith and of good doctrine. That's the diet that's needed up here to keep the mind in, in, in the, the, the state of a gymnastic um, sort of level of fitness. Um, we, we need to adopt the, the spiritual equivalent of, of gymnastics in the mind. And to make it absolutely clear where he's coming from, he makes reference to bodily exercise of the gymnast because it does have some value in a natural sense. There is some profit to bodily exercise, as, as we all know. Um, we need to exercise sometimes to, to energise. And we also know, if we're honest, that the longer we lay in bed, um, the more tired we feel. So exercise is profitable. Uh, but the point he's trying to make here is that whilst physical training is profitable to a few things in life, godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And so a final thought is offered in verse 15. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So really important consequences um, in that verse for keeping our minds fit in the things of the gospel and of the doctrine of God's word, um, it will lead us um, to eternal life for not only will we save ourselves if we share them with others we may save them too so the same gymnastics of the mind um, um, is, is revealed in hebrews i don't think we'll we'll turn there now but but um, in hebrews chapter five the the apostle speaks of of the young and the inexperienced nourished by the milk of the word and the mature uh, those uh, who, who have greater understanding have have stronger meat um, of, of the word available to them. And he says, even those who by use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so um, wh whilst we we're chewing on on strong meat um, to fill the body with energy, we are exercising our jaw. We're keeping that whole process fit. Um, and in a state of readiness. Um, and, and so that's what we do to the mind when we take in the word of God. Keeping fit in the mind requires exercise, a daily routine of reading the word to keep the senses honed and sharp, to keep ourselves in the truth, to hold fast the form of sound words. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you, he says. 
and, and that word keep means to hold fast, to lock down, to secure. And if, if these ordinances, the, the things of God's word, relate to an understanding of divine principles, we can understand better um, why we need to keep our minds in a state of good health and exercise them regularly in the things of God's word. So as we draw our thoughts to a close, um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of these uh, principles of athletics that we see hidden in the scriptures um, and, and can see the lesson that's necessary for us to adopt the principles of, of um, the athletes training and discipline um, in, in, in our minds striving for the, the, the mastery um, and, and, and we can hopefully see the lesson for us what, what, whilst the physical excellence of our top athletes provides a very impressive display um, in the natural sense it is of course for a fleeting moment uh, for a crown that fades away that they, they these athletes soak up the glory for, for for a moment but when they're eventually beaten in a race their triumph fades into the history books and frequently they retire so however good the Olympics turn out to be later this year if they can be held the true lesson for us is to just look at the fitness of those athletes and how they've honed their bodies to to produce physical excellence um, we need to take their example um, and, and their discipline their training their diet their honesty their physical prowess and take these principles into our lives to to train up our minds in the sound words of, of the teaching of God's word. And we must keep our minds active um, by regular exercise and proper diet, by feeding our mind with the word of God to stay on top. Little and often is the way we eat. We don't indulge in a, in a huge meal. We have to have regular amounts um, in, in sensible proportions. Um, and so this, hopefully, will draw us to respond to God's word through the waters of baptism um, and, and set ourselves on a path towards the promise of everlasting life and a crown of glory that will not fade. Naturally, this is not an easy path because the followers of Christ know uh, only too well that the word of God does not sit comfortably with the thinking of the flesh. And so it's very easy for us to get lazy if we're not careful and, and, and get our fitness levels um, sort of down and, and depressed. We need to stay on top. And so the Apostle Paul um, warns um, time after time to hold fast, to contend, uh, to keep the faith, um, because the race that we have, that we run, has no second place. We will either reach the end and be victorious and gain everlasting life in God's kingdom or we will not there is no prize for second place and we're not racing against each other here we're racing against ourselves and the power of the sin in the flesh that is within us um, we're going to close um, with a uh, one more verse from the epistle of Jude um, which is the last but one book of the New Testament um, and we're going to look at Jude and verse three. So it only has one chapter. 
Um, and in this verse we, we read, Jude writes, um, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you um, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, earnestly here is actually used in a military sense, uh, in that of a combatant. Um, not, so not only do we, do we need to know the truth of God's word and keep our minds regularly exercised in it, but we need to go into battle um, with, with the mind of the flesh and, and those impulses within us that would lead us to um, commit sin and do the things that the flesh enjoys doing rather than keeping our thoughts and our minds disciplined on God's word. But our reward is not a wreath of leaves, um, but a crown of righteousness that is everlasting life available to all those we read who love his appearing. But if you look back in, in that second of Timothy um, um, chapter four that we read, all those who love his appearing in verse eight, it actually means, and the revised version says, have loved. It's, it's available to all those who have loved his appearing. And so we'll close by just saying we, we can't do this when Christ appears. And we know his return is soon. We have to be doing it now so that when he returns, we, we, we will inherit that crown of righteousness, everlasting life. If we have been loving, been expecting, preparing for his appearing. Thank you for listening.